0: Can you hear me? JR, you can hear me in the back? Everybody turn to Acts twenty-four. <clears throat> Acts chapter twenty-four. We're gonna be in verse twenty-two through twenty-seven today. time to get there. Acts 24. Let's pray and ask the Lord to help us in this time of his word. Father, thank you so much for this glorious thought. Our sin not in part, but the whole is nailed to the cross. We bear it no more. Lord, thank you for this glorious promise that one day you're going to descend with a shout and a voice of an archangel and the trumpet of God. The dead in Christ rise, and we who are alive be caught up together and to meet you and thus always be with you. Thank you, Lord, for this glorious, glorious thought. Lord, we worship you and we want to come to your word. this morning as those ready to obey, ready to submit, even ready to worship as you show yourself to us. Lord, we long for that day that you return, but until then, we want to be obedient to you. We want to be your faithful servants. So Lord, please, through your word this morning, conform us into the image of Christ. Conform us to the image of Christ. We love you so much, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Acts 24, verse 22. Let me give a little bit of a context. There's um, J.B. over there. That sound good, Jay? Sounds weird to me. Is this how you can hear? Okay. Sorry, guys. It's something I'm ringing my ear a little bit. <clears throat> a little bit of context here. So this has been a really hard two weeks in uh, Paul's life. Uh, we know that 12 days prior to where we're at in the text in Acts 24, 12 days prior to that, Paul had arrived in Jerusalem. He's been beaten. He's been slandered. He's been beaten. He's been slandered. He's been arrested. He's had murder plots against his life. Uh, he's gone before trial before a governor in Caesarea. Uh, at the beginning of this chapter in Acts 24, we've heard the, the prosecution. And uh, then we heard Paul give his own defense. And so this has been a rough, a rough 12 days for him. And so what we've got coming up in our passage is the prosecutor has spoken. Uh, Paul has given his own defense. And now we're going to hear from the governor who is the judge here. And he's supposed to judge this case. What's going to happen to Paul? Will he be put to death? Will he be thrown into prison? Will he, will he be set free? So let's read this passage and see what's next. Acts 24. Verse 22. But Felix, having a rather accurate knowledge of the way, put them off, saying, When Lysias the tribune comes down, I will decide your case. Then he gave orders to the centurion that he should be kept in custody, but have some liberty, and that none of his friends Should be prevented from attending to his needs. After some days Felix came with his wife Drusilla, Who was Jewish. And he sent for Paul. And heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. And as he reasoned about righteousness and self-control. And the coming judgment. Felix was alarmed. And said, go away for the present. When I get an opportunity, I will summon you. At the same time, he hoped that money would be given him by Paul. So he sent for him often and conversed with him. When two years had elapsed, Felix was succeeded by Porcius Festus. And desiring to do the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul in prison. So Let's just get a plain sense of what's here. What do we see here? How does the judge, the governor, how does he respond to this? Uh, These accusations are being brought against Paul. Well, Felix decides to put the decision off for a time. Now, the reason that he gives in verse 22 is the reason he gives is we're going to wait till some more information arrives. We're going to wait till uh, Lysias the Tribune, wait till he gets here, and then I'll decide your case. Well, we know the reality is, from verse 26 and 27, that this is a greedy man that's looking for a bribe from Paul. He hears that this man might be a a leader. This man might be a leader of those people called the way. And maybe he can get some money out of this situation. He's looking for a bribe. And we see in verse 27 that he never releases Paul in the time that he's governor. Two years goes by. Transition of power happens and Festus comes in to replace Felix and he still leaves Paul there. Why? And it says there in verse 27, he desired to do the Jews a favor. He desired to do the Jews a favor. So Paul remains in prison. He's got a little bit of liberty, it says here in verse 23. His friends are not restrained from coming and attending to his needs while he's in prison. So he's still in custody, but he's got... A little bit of freedom there. And then we get in this passage some ongoing, uh, uh, some details about some ongoing discussion between Paul and Felix. Which we'll come back to that in just a moment. And then the way this passage ends is we've got Paul left in prison for two years. And he's still there. For two years left in prison. And he's still there. Now let's start off, uh, I want us to talk about who is this man, Felix? It says, Governor Felix, who is this man? Let's think about his life for just a moment. What do the the historians say about this man, Felix? Let's start with the most important historian of them all. That's Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, uh, inspired by the Holy Spirit. And he speaks about this man, Felix, several times in Acts 23, Acts 24, and Acts 25. We get information about this man named Felix. So what do we know about him? Well, chapter 23, verse 24 says that he was a governor. He was a governor. This means that this man was a a part of a small, elite group of men in the Roman Empire. A man of power. A man of prominence. This is a man of wealth. A kingly sort of man that had rule, that had authority. He was part of an elite group of men. He was a governor. Chapter 24, verse 22, right here in our passage, tells us that he had an accurate knowledge of the way. So who is this man, Felix? This man, according to Luke, the historian, by the Holy Spirit, tells us that this man had an accurate knowledge knowledge of the way in verse 22. Now, how did he have an accurate knowledge of the way? Well, Christianity had, had exploded on the culture here. And it began in the place where he ruled. So it seems like he would need to have some sort of knowledge of the way that had exploded on his land, on his territory. Also, he has a wife named Drusilla. We read about that in verse 24, who is Jewish. So maybe he knew about the way Maybe he gained this accurate knowledge of the way through his Jewish wife, who probably had some interaction with this whole Christianity thing. But this man has an accurate knowledge of the way. So that means that this man understood some beautiful, beautiful truths. Think about what it means that he understood. At least he understood that there was this man named Jesus. Felix knew about Jesus. This was a famous man that had done amazing things, miracles, glorious things. Man, this this guy was amazing. He knew about Jesus. He'd heard reports about this man. And surely Felix knew about the crucifixion. That this man had gone to a cross and had died. And if he has an accurate knowledge of the way, he understands that that death meant something to these Christians. And maybe to him it was just another death, but to these Christians, his death was a crucifixion that was him dying for their sins. That this man, Felix, knew this man was crucified, and all of these Christians, all these people that are part of the way, think that he was crucified in their place. That he was their propitiation, their wrath-bearer that took their sins. He had an accurate knowledge of the way. He had heard reports that this man that had died, this man that claimed to be the Messiah, the promised Messiah of the Jewish people, and had died supposedly for sinners, had risen from the dead. Felix might not have believed that, but he had heard reports that this man had risen from the dead. And all the eyewitnesses began to to add up, to pile up all these eyewitnesses that claimed they had seen this man walk on earth again after he had He had been crucified on a cross and buried in a tomb. Mm -hmm. This man had an accurate knowledge of the way. Maybe he knew what Jesus said, which is recorded in John 14, 6, where Jesus said, I am the way, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Felix had an accurate knowledge of the way. Now, one thing we need to be reminded of through that is that knowledge of the way Knowledge of Christ does not save you. And we need to be reminded of that. You can know so much. You can have so much sound doctrine about Christ, about the gospel, about the truth. But knowing it does not save you. This man is not saved. And yet he has an accurate knowledge of the way. Now we also know from the historian Luke... By the Holy Spirit, that this man was an unjust ruler. He was an unjust ruler. And we see that as I referred to a moment ago in verse 26 and 27. Just because he desired to do the Jews a favor, he leaves Paul in prison. That's injustice. That's wrong. He knows this man is innocent, and yet he leaves him there. Hopefully he can get a bribe from this man. He can get money from this man, but he never gets it. So we know Governor Felix is an unjust ruler. Now, less important historians have also spoken about this man, Felix. One of those is a man named Josephus. He was a historian at the same time period as as Luke and as the time period that the book of Acts was written. And Josephus wrote something called the Antiquities of the Jews. And he spoke about, in those antiquities, he spoke about Felix as a murderer. That there was a high priest named Joseph that spoke against this man, Felix, and he had him killed. He murdered this man. Josephus spoke about this man as as an adulterer. A man that loved lust and adultery. That's who he was. In fact, this lady Drusilla was his third wife. And Drusilla was already married, but he, according to Josephus, he convinced her she was evil herself but convinced her to leave her husband to come with him. He stole this man's husband. This is a husband. This is a, this, excuse me, stole this man's wife. This is an evil man. Another story named Tacitus, the same time period. He said this about him. He wielded his kingly authority in all cruelty and lust. There's the banner over his rule. Cruelty and lust. This man was an evil scoundrel of a man. Governor Felix. Now people people tend to take men like this, men of power, of fame, of riches, men like this. Great men, supposedly, like this. And they tend to fear men like this. They tend to pander to men like this. Do it because of self-promotion or. Self-love or self-preservation. You know, men like this can really have some harm in my life. So so I really want to do them good. I want to pander to them because he can harm me. or, Or maybe he can do me really, really good. So people tend to fear men like this. Men of power. Men of riches. Men of fame. And yet there's some men that rise above the fear of man. There's some men that rise above the fear of man. Think about John the Baptist. Who looks at a king, and he says, "I imagine with his finger pointed, it is not right for you to have your brother's wife." And he confronts that man in his sin, although that man could take his head off. But think about Jesus, who was fearless in the face of the Sanhedrin, or the Jews, or the king, or the kings, or Governor Pontius Pilate, and there he stands, fearless. He's a fearless man. Looks him in the eye and he says, woe to you, hypocrites. You're like whitewashed tombs. Fearless man in the face of these supposedly men of high esteem. What about Peter and the other apostles? You think about in Acts chapter 5. Where they, the, the Sanhedrin, the, the supreme court of the land. There in Jerusalem looks at Peter and his men. And he says, listen to me, you stop preaching about Christ. And Peter looks him in the eye and says, well, i got to do what God told me to do. Should we not obey God rather than man? Should we not obey God rather than man? And we're going to see the same thing here in our passage today as we just read it a moment, moment ago. As Paul has risen above this fear of men and this fear of rich and famous and powerful men. He's unafraid. He's fearless. Now how do they do that? How do men like Paul become fearless in the face of these supposedly powerful men? They know God. They really know their God. Those who tremble before God do not tremble before men. You want to be someone that can stand before men? Well, go bow before Christ. Paul was a man man, that bent his knee before Jesus so he could stand in front of men with boldness. If you tremble before God, you don't tremble before men. I want you to imagine if your father was the emperor, your father's maybe the king. That's who your father is. And there he stands right there in the room. Your father is in the room and he's the king. What governor would you be afraid of? Would you fear Felix? In 2 Timothy 4.17, Paul says, as he preached the glorious gospel, The Lord stood with me, that the message might be preached fully through me, and all the Gentiles might hear. His Lord stood by His side. Who who will He be afraid of? The Lord is my shield. The Lord is my salvation. Of whom shall I be afraid? Psalm 27.1. Who is Governor Felix from God's perspective? He's just a grasshopper. Isaiah 40 verse 22 it says that God sits above the circle of the earth and all of its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. All of its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. Great men and the sight of God are just, they're just grasshoppers. Rulers of men are just grasshoppers with a top hat. That's it. You try to imagine if if right now, all the grasshoppers in your front yard begin to conspire against you. Would you worry for a moment? No. Couldn't care less. In all the nations... Like little grasshoppers. All the nations could conspire together against God Almighty, and He worries less than you. Doesn't, doesn't bother Him for a moment. Paul trembles before God, and therefore He does not tremble before Felix. He knelt before Jesus in secret. And therefore he could stand in public with boldness before rulers of this earth. So let's look at that. Paul the prisoner. We've seen Felix, his ruler. What about Paul the prisoner? And I want him to be an example to us. This is an example that we should follow. An example that we ought to imitate. In fact, Philippians chapter 3 verse 17. Paul says this, brothers, join in imitating me. Paul is writing from a prison cell saying, brothers, join in imitating me. So as we look at Paul, we need to, we need to see him as an example to follow. Now why do we need examples? Why do we have examples for us in the scriptures? Um, to give us guidance, for sure. What about to, uh, to encourage our souls? Absolutely. You ever read an example and encourage your soul? Absolutely. But here, here's the point I want, I want to put before you. We need examples for humility's sake. We need to be humbled. We need examples put before us. And this example of Paul the prisoner put before us today for our humility. To humble us. Grace Community Church, listen to me. We need this. We need this. Look, things are going well here. You got sound doctrine in this church. You got a sound church, not perfect, but a sound church. You got growth. God's given us growth and increase, and people are being saved, and God's adding to our numbers here and there. So what comes next? Well, if Satan has anything to do with it. Pride, pride, pride. That's what comes next. A man can take pride in church growth. A man can take pride in sound doctrine just as quickly as he takes pride in success and money. But what do you have? What do you have that you didn't receive? What do you have that you didn't receive from God Himself? And this example comes before us as a pride killer. Then we look at Paul's life and what do we see? We had not (laughs) arrived We haven't arrived. We've got a long way to go. I want to encourage you to look at this example today. And let it produce humility in you. Now, first thing about Paul here is his bold message. We're going to spend most of our time here. And we really see his bold message in verse 24 and verse and verse 25. So let me read that again. Look at it. After some days, Felix came with his wife Drusilla... Who was Jewish, and he sent for Paul. So Paul's there in custody, and Felix sends for Paul. He wants to hear from him, we don't know why. And he heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. And as he reasoned about righteousness and self control and the coming judgment, Felix was alarmed and said, Go away for the present. When I get an opportunity, I will summon you. So what does verse 24 say that Paul spoke about? What is this bold message that Paul proclaims? What does verse 24 say that he spoke about? It says he spoke about faith in Christ Jesus. Now what comes to your mind when you hear that? About Christ, the one who was crucified, the one risen from the dead. And our faith in Him and whoever believes in Him has everlasting life. What comes to your mind is the gospel, the good news comes to your mind. He spoke to Felix about faith in Christ Jesus. But then what does verse 25 say that he spoke about? It says that he heard him about righteousness, self-control, and the coming judgment. Now, if you do a little word study on these, I think you'll you'll understand what's here. He spoke to them about righteousness. He was laying out for Felix the righteous standard of God. This is moral rightness. Not necessarily what we think of justification by faith. No, he's speaking about the righteous standard of God. He's preaching righteousness to this man. And he's preaching self-control which would have gone right in the face of this man's sexual immorality and the passions of lust, the cruelty and lust that he was known for. So he speaks about a righteous standard. He speaks about self-control and confronts the sin, and then he puts it all before the coming judgment. Why does it matter that he's fallen so far below the righteous standard? Why does it matter that he's fallen so far below self-control in his sexual immorality? Why does it matter? Because of the coming judgment. You're going to be judged by God one day, Felix. You're going to stand before Him and give an account for every idle word that you have ever spoken, every action that you have ever walked. And you'll stand before Him and He'll condemn you to hell for what you have done. It's appointed for a man to die once and then comes the judgment. I want you to think about that for just a minute. Whoop. Verse 24 says he spoke about faith in Christ Jesus. And verse 25 says righteousness, self-control, and the coming judgment. I'm going to call these the truths that terrify. So he's talking about faith in Christ, but then verse 25 he's talking about the truths that terrify. This is terrifying when you think about the righteous standard of God, our sin before that righteous standard, and the judgment that's coming one day. These are the truths that terrify. One sounds like good news the other one sounds like bad news but which one is it what is he preaching here i want you to think about the way it's worded it says at the end of verse 24 he heard him speak about faith in christ jesus So think about that like a title it's like a title over what paul's doing what's he wanting to talk to felix about faith in christ jesus it's the title but then when words come out and you get the content of this message, verse 25 tells us, and as he reasoned about, here it comes, righteousness and self-control in the coming judgment. So what's going on here? They seem almost opposed. Bad news, good news. What's happening here? Here's the idea. Is it, is Paul is preaching to him the bad news of the gospel. Have you ever heard that? But he's doing it with an aim to get him to faith in Christ Jesus. Faith in Christ Jesus is the title. Righteousness, self-control, and judgment is the content. He's preaching to him the bad news. The truths that terrify to get him to faith in Christ Jesus. He's he's not teaching him about righteous dangers of God and his sin and the judgment to come to say, Hey Felix, you need to straighten up and fly right. You need to be good because there's a judgment coming. That's not what he's doing. That leads people to hell. Isaiah 64.6 says we're all like an unclean thing. And all our righteous deeds are like filthy rags. So he's not saying, Felix, a judgment's coming. You better straighten up. He's helping this man see the righteous standard of God. And his sin compared to that righteous standard. And that there's a judgment coming in order to lead him to faith in Jesus Christ. He's giving him the truths that terrify so that he sees his need for Christ. Now I want you to think about that for a minute. Felix has knowledge of Christ, right? He's got knowledge of the way, accurate knowledge of the way. But like I said earlier, it's not enough to save. This man has knowledge of the way, knowledge of Christ, knowledge of pieces of the gospel, but it's not enough to save. What is he lacking? This man is lacking the fear of God. And he needs a faithful evangelist to come in and terrify his soul. And so Paul confronts him about righteousness. This is who God is. This is his standard. This is what it means. Can you imagine how that would have confronted this unjust ruler? To, be, to hear preaching from the apostle Paul about the righteousness of God. About self-control. You imagine how this would have affected this wicked, evil, lust, lust-filled, cruel man. To hear about God's standards of self-control. You imagine that. And then the coming judgment. Think about Revelation 6. Where it says, even great men like you, Felix. Even great men and mighty men and leaders are going to hide behind the rocks and say, Let the rocks fall on people. but just hide me from the wrath of the Lamb. Hide me from the wrath of the Lamb. The wrath of the Lamb has come. Judgment has come. Hide me from His face, please. I think something that we see here very clearly is that yes, there are times that the afflicted need to be comforted, but I know you've heard this. But sometimes the comfortable need to be afflicted. Now I would say oftentimes the comfortable need to be afflicted. Now, do you understand the importance of the bad news of the gospel? So brothers and sisters in Christ, here's Paul giving the bad news of the gospel to lead him to the good news, to lead him to faith in Christ. Do you understand the importance of the bad news of the gospel? Romans 2.16 says this, on the day when God will judge the secrets of men, that doesn't sound like good news, according to my good news. Romans 2.16 On the day that God would judge the secrets of men according to my gospel. When Paul preached gospel, he preached that judge who's going to judge the secrets of men. The gospel, we must must have the truths that terrify so that we see our need for Christ. Brothers and sisters, do you understand the importance of the bad news of the gospel? It's so often neglected. It's harder to preach it gets you hated more than, more than other things. And so it's so hard to preach at times. But do you understand that you can't leave it out? You can't leave out the bad news of the gospel. You need to understand this. Our world, so Christian, every Christian in the room, our world is not, it is not full of people that know their sin. It's not full of people that know their sin and feel the weight of their guilt before God and fear eternal hell. The world is not full of people like that. The world is full of people that are comfortable in their sin and unafraid of of eternity. And just like we are blind without Jesus before salvation, just like we're blind to Christ, we're also blinded to our own sin. We need to be awakened. We need the truths that terrify. We need the bad news of the gospel. So that someone might see their need, their need for Christ. And what I'm saying to you is most people on this planet are like Felix. So here's Paul speaking to Felix. Here's a man that has some knowledge. He has an accurate knowledge of the way. But man, he's comfortable in his sin. He's comfortable thinking about what's to come. And Paul gives him the bad news to shake his soul to lead him to faith in Christ. The bad news of the gospel is very, very important. I heard a preacher say that I would rather give, I'd rather lead a person to one sleepless night for the good of their soul than to leave them to a million sleepless nights in hell. And I hope you would agree with him. So much of, so much of modern evangelism, as I thought about this, I think so much of modern evangelism sounds like the, 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 False prophets that Isaiah condemned. Remember what he said about them? What do those false prophets say that Isaiah was condemning? They say, peace, peace when there is no peace. Peace, peace, when there is no peace. They don't come with bad news. They come with peace. Peace, but there is no peace. And so much of modern evangelism is like that. People are having their face stuffed with God's love, 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 no judgment. That God has a purpose for your life. And they're just comforted. They're comforted straight to hell. Never awaken. How many false comers never feel their need for Christ. And then they go to hell comfortable. Made comfortable comfortable by modern evangelism. Here Paul comes to Felix. And what's he going to say? He speaks to him about righteousness. And self-control. And the coming judgment. Not for works-based righteousness, but to lead them to Christ, the Savior. Do you see the importance of the bad news of the gospel? There's a guy named uh, Ichabod Spencer, who I know's a funny name, but over Presbyterian pastor over about 100 years ago or so, and he used to talk about his evangelism and his dealings with people as he wanted to conspire with the Holy Spirit. He wanted to come alongside and partner with the Holy Spirit. And that's the way he thought about his evangelism. He wanted to conspire with the Holy Spirit. I want you to think about what is the Holy Spirit doing to bring people to himself? What's the Holy Spirit doing? He's doing a lot of things, but what's he doing? John 16 verse 8 says this. It says the Holy Spirit comes to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. That sound familiar? That the Holy Spirit is doing this work. That every soul that has ever been saved, every soul that stands righteous before God because of the blood of Jesus Christ, they have experienced the conviction of the Holy Spirit. I understand this at different times and in different ways with different people, but every soul that's ever been saved has experienced the conviction of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes to convict the world of sin, of sin, righteousness and judgment. And don't you see Paul conspiring with the Holy Spirit, partnering with the Holy Spirit and preaching righteousness, self-control and the coming judgment to lead people to Christ. Now how does Felix respond? You see it here in verse 25. How does Felix respond to his preaching? It says, Felix was alarmed but like that throws a lot of people off when they see that. Didn't expect that. Hearing this man preach and he's alarmed. The word here is that he he was thrown into fear. He was thrown into a panic. He heard the truth that terrifies, and he was terrified. He was afraid. Modern evangelism doesn't want to make anybody uncomfortable. And here's Paul preaching. And he's making this man very uncomfortable. He got more than he bargained for. And it says he's alarmed. He's afraid. He's he's terrified. I wonder if anybody here is like Felix right now. That maybe you have an accurate knowledge of the way. Anybody here like that? You got an accurate knowledge of the way? And maybe at some point you remember... You remember feeling an alarm in your soul? A a fear in your soul about what's going to happen to you in eternity? Have you feel that now? But you have an accurate knowledge of the way you, you, you have felt or are feeling now. This alarm is there anyone here like Felix? And I want you to think about this. Just like I told you a moment ago the knowledge of the way doesn't save, neither does this. You have felt an alarm in your soul at some point or now. You have felt fear over eternity. That doesn't save you either. In Acts chapter 2 verse 37, it says that there were a group of people that heard the knowledge of the way. They heard Peter preach the gospel. And it says they were cut to the heart. They were cut to the heart. They felt an alarm. They felt a fear. They were cut to the heart. And they said, what must we do to be saved? And notice Peter does not say to them, oh, you feel a fear over your soul, you're fine. He tells them, repent and believe in the gospel. This place that Felix is in, he has a knowledge and he has a fear in his soul over what he's just heard. But he's not saved. In fact, the next few moments, if you think about, if you put yourself in this setting, the next few moments of Felix's life has eternal ramifications. Just think about those next few moments. What's he going to do? He feels a fear swell up in his soul as he hears the bad news of the gospel meant to lead him to respond with faith in Christ. And he feels that fear in his soul. And what's he going to do now? Is he going to submit to Christ and come to him? Come to me, all you weary and heavy laden. I'll give you rest for your soul. Or is he going to harden his heart and be harder on the back end than he was on the front? And his heart is even harder than it already was. How is he going to respond? And it says it right here in verse 25. After he was alarmed, it says he, he said to Paul, Go away for the present. When I get an opportunity... I'll summon you. He heard it. Not, not like the people in Acts 2. That they, they were cut to the heart. And said what must we do to be saved? But here he hears it. His soul is alarmed. And he says hey you got to get out of here. We'll deal with this when I have a proper time. I don't have time for this right now. Go on down. Move on down the road. When I get time. I'll deal with this. I'm going to call this soul procrastination. It's so dangerous. Soul procrastination. Just put it off. You felt some alarm in your soul. You felt some fear of God come upon you at some moment. I can't deal with this right now. i got too much going on. I see, to put this off for later, I'll deal with that later. Soul procrastination. It is so dangerous. Don't you know that for Felix, later never came. That man burns in hell right now. He had a moment and it was gone. His moment is gone. You can procrastinate about many things. I wouldn't encourage it. But you can procrastinate about many things and you'll be okay. But soul procrastination is dangerous, dangerous, dangerous. Dangerous. I wonder if anybody here is like that. You're like Felix. you got an accurate knowledge of the way. You have felt some alarm in your soul about where you stand before God. And about the coming judgment where you stand before Him in your sin. And you felt alarm in your soul. And you just put it off. Listen to me. Don't put it off. Jesus said the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. There's urgency. Repent and believe in the gospel. Proverbs 29.1, it says, The person that is often rebuked but hardens his heart will suddenly be destroyed. And that beyond remedy. In other words, a moment comes when it's too late. Your heart just gets harder. If you're in soul procrastination, don't procrastinate anymore. But come to Him. Now, Grace Community Church, how how does this affect you seeing Paul? Here he is standing before this high-ranking official, and he doesn't fear this man. He's not pandering to this man, but he's driving in the truths that terrify, even though this man could have his head. What does that do to you? What does that do to you? Does Does it rebuke spineless Christianity? Does it call you into boldness to stand with a, with a bold message, a, a message of Christ, a message of the gospel, bad news and good news, regardless of who you're talking to? And does this encourage your soul? I hope that it does. Now, if it does encourage your soul... And you do say, you know what, I'm going to imitate this man. Maybe you say, I've already been trying to imitate this man, but I'm going to keep going. Say, God, help me to imitate this man with a fearlessness and a boldness, making known your truth, not scared to proclaim the bad news of the gospel, no matter who it might be. You say, yes, I'm going to do that. You know what's coming for you? Blessing. I want to talk to you about Paul's blessing. But you got to understand what I mean by blessing. I think we all know on paper, we all know in theory that persecution, which is what I'm referring to, that's what's coming to you, all those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. The promise not many claim. Persecution is blessing from God. Suffering is a gift from God. Do you know that? I know you know it on paper i know you know it in theory but do you really believe it this suffering and persecution is blessing come down from god so that when it affects you personally you can turn up your eyes and your mouth and say thank you lord thank you for what you've given to me do you know it in the depths of your soul that matthew 5 is true blessed are the persecuted. Those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. For theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you when men revile you and insult you and imprison you for my name's sake. For your reward will be great in heaven. Do you believe it in the depth of your soul? So that when it comes, because if you're going to follow His example, it's going to come. And when it comes, you can give thanks to the living God. Do you believe it to be a real blessing. I want you to consider Paul his example not only his example of preaching with boldness but his example of suffering to the glory of God. think about this man for the pursuits, pursuit that he's on of preaching the glorious gospel, being bold and unafraid he's in that pursuit and think about this man's life. he's been beaten. Half to death several times. He's been, even in just recent weeks here, as we're looking through the book of Acts, he's been falsely accused. He's been arrested unjustly. Murder plots. Murder schemes have come up against this man's life. He's been insulted. He was told that he was the leader of a cult earlier in this chapter. And now... He's suffering under, under an unjust ruler. Two years? He knows he didn't do anything wrong. They don't have evidence against him. And yet just because Felix desires to do the Jews a favor, he leaves them in prison. He's suffering under an unjust ruler, Even now in this passage of scripture. Now let Paul's life be an example to you. And let... Peter's words, I'm about to read some words here from Peter. Let Peter's words come alongside that to prepare our hearts to imitate Paul and to come under persecution and suffering. 1 Peter chapter 4, I want to read this to you. Let it be a preparation for your heart. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. Take this into your heart. Beloved, that's all you are in Christ. Beloved, do not be, surpri- be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. As though something strange were happening to you. You know, well, it isn't strange. It's what happens. But rejoice in so far as you share in Christ's. Sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. It's Paul's blessing. If you're insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Why? Why am I blessed? Because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Isn't that a blessing? The Spirit of glory and of God will rest upon me. Isn't that a blessing? How does He come there? He rides in on insults, He rides in on persecutions, He rides in on sufferings. The Spirit of glory and of God rides in on insults and comes upon you. The insult is the blessing. So, here, there's your enemy those that oppose you. And words come out of the mouth to insult you. And what they don't realize is that they're sending the Spirit of glory of God to rest upon you in that moment. I want you to be convinced of that as you seek to imitate Paul. Let me get one more scripture here to close on. Paul's on his deathbed, he's on his deathbed, He's, he's facing his final persecution. His final suffering for the gospel. We can read about it in 2 Timothy. And there he is facing his final persecution. And he gives on his deathbed. He gives an invitation to Timothy. He gives an imita- invitation to Timothy. And I want each one of you to receive it. As an invitation to you. Brothers and sisters in Christ. Let this be an invitation from Paul. From his deathbed to you. 2 Timothy eight. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. But share. Here's the command. Here's the invitation. But share in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Let the invitation land on you all. Share, brothers and sisters in Christ. Share. Share in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God. And as you seek to imitate Paul, this is exactly what will come. Let's pray. Father, thank You for this example in Your Word. I pray, God, that You would fill our hearts with boldness. Give us boldness to preach the truths that terrify alongside the good news of the glorious gospel. God, I pray that You would keep us from fear of men. Lord, we want to tremble before You. God, take us day in and day out, Lord. I pray that You would meet with us in a secret place so that as we bow before You, we'd be able to stand before men. Kill our fear, Lord. Lord, Kill our anxieties. Let your word go forward with power. Let your word go forward with authority, God. I pray that you use my brothers and sisters, use us all in this church to preach your gospel and see souls saved. To see your message go forth, Lord, no matter who is to. God, help us, please. We want to be faithful evangelists for You, Lord. We want to glorify Your name. And I pray, Lord, that You would lift up over us the, this banner that You are the God of salvation. And Lord, I pray You'd save many souls. You'd bring people to Yourself, Lord, to save many souls. And I pray that the fear of You would fall down on this land. And all over our city, God, and all in our different spheres of influence, God, that the fear of You would fall down. The people would tremble before you and be alarmed. And God, in those moments, pray that you would put us there to plead with them, not to ignore it. But to come to Christ and find rest for their souls. Lord, please help us. And we praise you, God, for this example. God, if we suffer for for following this example, help us to suffer to your glory. Help us to be persecuted to your glory, for your praise, for your name's sake, Lord. Give us strength in Jesus' name. Amen.